Welcome to Rink Wrap, the Bruins podcast with your host, Mick Collagio. Mick has been covering the Bruins since the Boston Garden days and has the guests and the insights on the hockey world from the local to the NHL. So drop what you're doing, drop the puck, and listen in on Rink Wrap with Mick Collagio. And it's Rink Wrap coming to you from the Standard Times in New Bedford, Massachusetts. I'm your host, Mick Collagio, and you can hear Rink Wrap wherever you get your podcast, Google Play, iTunes, etc. And today, uh, just going to do a little catch up with uh, a couple of things going on. Uh, one is this latest trade talk that's coming um, out of everywhere, but most notably Canada and from Sportsnet.ca which is now saying that the Bruins are one of about a half a dozen teams through which all NHL trade talk is going. So the Bruins are considered to be on the short list of teams looking to make a move, and they are considered to be a buyer, a team that's uh, probably looking at its younger core of successors and saying that this is going to take too long for us to win as soon as we think we uh, can win. So they're probably looking to accelerate that process. Uh, some of the talk has been centered around uh, a new centerman. That could be either Charlie Coyle or Kevin Hayes. And then there's always uh, the peanut gallery is always ready. And I would, you know, I sit in the front row of that one talking about Wayne Simmons because uh, this all this talk and this uh, new realization that David Krejci is actually a good player, which just cracks me up. The guy led the playoffs in scoring twice. It's not a fluke. Uh, He's a magic man with the puck and give him some wings and you see what you get. Now, uh, I was in favor of uh, David Pasternak going on Krejci's wing in order to form a a, a number one B line uh, with Jake DeBrusque at the beginning of the season uh, with Bergeron, De, Brad Marchand, and it could be Ryan Donato, Anders Bjork, whoever is most ready to fill the role alongside them. The premise that I had was that since you already know that with the departure of Riley Nash leaves your third line in flux. And that has certainly come true. That especially with this, this latest, you know, college kid line notwithstanding, uh, with uh, JFK and Ryan Donato and Danton Heinen uh, working well together. It's a very short sample. Let's see where it goes. But the third line has been, had many members so far this season, and the season's not even half over. Uh, so we're right on with that one. Therefore, my premise was, since Bergeron and Marchand have such an amazing track record of playing with guys who are either 43, like Mark Recchi was, or Yarmir Yager being 41, or Tyler Sagan being 19, yeah, they all extraordinary talents. Yes, they are. But uh, they can get a guy at any stage of his career and make him a productive player. So you can take David Pasternak off of that line and still have a great line. If you give David Krejci wings on both sides, we are now finally seeing what happened uh, several years ago when he had Nathan Horton and Milan Lucic or Jerome McGinley that one season, 13-14, opposite Lucic. Krejci with two wingers, 
especially if they combine some uh, sort of physicality or speed. And when the chaos that that creates on the forecheck uh, is the kind of stuff that he just, that's like a great cook's ingredients, giving a great cook great ingredients, and then you see what happens. So that's why David Krejci is doing, uh, is, is productive again and making great plays because the Bruins have now uh, given him what he needs to work with. Now, and in regards to Bruce Cassidy's original decision to keep the Bergeron line together with Pasternak to his right, Marshan to his left at the outset of the season, I totally get it. It's, it's based on if you're really living the life of a hockey coach, you're not taking anything for granted. And if you get a hammer, you swing it. And that's just the way it is. So understood um, and, and respected. As always, you know, this is, this is, uh, these guys are the pros. They know what they're doing. So he's been looking to reformulate and create through internal competition uh, and through fact-finding another line. And now it seems, now that DeBrusque has been out of the lineup in concussion protocol, uh, that puck to the back of his helmet, uh, that is now made it so he doesn't need Krejci to support him because he's not in the lineup. So now the Bruins have decided, well, let's try Krejci between Marshan and Pasternak, and it's magical so far. So uh, while Bergeron's working his way back toward a return, and we don't know when that's going to be, uh, though he is skating again, though not with the club in regular practice, uh, this is now sort of a repeat of what we had when Bergeron was in the lineup. And then you try to make the most of what you can. It wasn't enough for Colby Cave to cover Marshan and Pasternak defensively. He didn't have enough dynamo in his game to to uh, support them offensively the way that the Bruins really needed to have a big line, which is what they wanted. Uh, and and just, to, just to note, when before Colby Cave was recalled from the Providence Bruins, uh, he had led the team in scoring with six goals, 12 assists, 18 points in 15 games played. 18 and 15. The only point-per-game player the Providence Bruins have had this season. The only player cl- close to rivaling that was Ryan Donato's uh, brief uh, assignment in which he played, I believe, 10 games and had nine points. So... Donato is the only player who probably has produced at the rate, or close to the rate, that Colby Cave did with the Providence Bruins. And uh, that's a shorter sample. But it throws some perspective into this. If Colby Cave could be more than a point-per-game player in Providence and then come to Boston, play well in a depth role, get an opportunity, and function well as a defensive conscience for Marshan and uh, Pasternak, but yet not to a satisfactory level offensively. It really kind of highlights what a long road it is for some of these prospects who are finding their way and, um, and in the matchups that you get, uh, you know, producing in those matchups in the NHL. Uh, obviously, Martian and Pasternak are going to get the toughest matchup defensively. And so now they get Krejci, and, and let's see what happens as the team continues along. Um, so you're listening to Rink Wrap with Mick Collagio, and we, we talk out of the Standard Times studio in New Bedford, Massachusetts, and um, 
while we're on to this trade business, the question arrives uh, of philosophy. Uh, are the Bruins going to try to accelerate their curve? Are they impatient with the prospects? Are they disappointed in the rate uh, with which, uh, you know, we have not seen uh, a viable third-line center emerge? Maybe that guy is Cave. Maybe he can be that guy, at least in the short term, while the Bruins farm, farm up one of their uh, draft picks that they think more highly of in the long term, whether it be Jack Studnika, who is uh, likely to be seen in the World Junior Tournament right after Christmas. Uh, that'll be worth a look. Uh, it should be a dominant time for him. Uh, as he was hoping to stick and was sent back, uh, you have... Uh, like we noted, Forsbacker Carlson now centering uh, a third line with the Bruins, with Donato uh, and uh, Danton Heinen. And Heinen is obviously uh, sort of the P.J. Axelson on that line. He's the um, the defensive conscience, but also a, the clever board playmaker, the guy who knows what he's going to do with the puck before he gets it and usually makes a very good decision. So what are the Bruins going to do here? Uh, just Let's just take a quick look at a couple of these uh, popular suspects. Uh, just to get Wayne Simmons out of the way, uh, he, he is now, I want to say, 30. Uh, he's making almost $4 million a year. His contract is expiring. He'll be a free agent after the season without compensation. Six-foot-two right winger. Obviously, I drool over the thought of him on David Krejci's right wing. Uh I don't know what it would cost, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Flyers were looking for a first-round draft pick to start with, which, if the Bruins gave one up, would be better than the one they gave up last year during a banner season uh, in the, uh, to get Rick Nash from the Rangers. Uh, Charlie Coyle, uh, Weymouth uh, native who played his junior hockey with the South Shore Kings in out of Foxborough before attending a year at Boston University, and then he turned pro, and he plays for the Minnesota Wild. He makes 3.2 a season. He will be a free agent uh, in 2020. Uh, he's six foot three, big, strong kid, uh, turns 27 on uh, March 2nd. Uh, Kevin Hayes, the younger of the two Hayes brothers, playing for the Rangers, is under contract for a little over a million a year, $5.175 million. He will be an unrestricted free agent at the end of this season now. So he's sort of in Simmons' category as far as contractually, even though his cap hit uh, is about a million higher. Uh, Six-foot-five centerman shoots left. Uh, Kevin Hayes has played up and down the Ranger lineup. But, again, we're talking about an enigmatic player, somebody who has never quite lived up to what was foreseen for him. The Rangers are thinking very young, and they've reloaded their prospect pool with center icemen. So uh, they're probably willing to listen to offers on Kevin Hayes. Uh, they are on the bubble, so not really sure which way the Rangers will go. Uh, they're having a little better season than a lot of people thought they might have, given the way they uh, you know, just backed up the, the truck and, and unloaded Last year, they were a major seller. Uh, so the Rangers, uh, not sure what they'll decide. The Wild, um, I think theirs is a positional situation. They probably want an offensive defenseman. Um, I think that this is where the Tory Krug talk kicks in, as it always does. Um, and um, 
have made my opinions known on this for quite a while. Uh, Tori Krug, uh, a terrific character player, an awesome talent with the puck. Um, unfortunately for him, not a guy you want in the playoffs defending against uh, the top two lines. Um, not because he doesn't play hard, not because he doesn't play defense uh, in an orthodox style, but um, just because transition teams can take advantage of his uh, lack of foot speed. And I harp on this like, like I think he's terrible, and I, and I feel badly when I get talking about this because nobody else talks about Krug in this particular vein. So I feel like I need to reiterate it from time to time when Krug's name comes up. He is a bit of a, of a tweener. He's an awesome talent. Uh, he plays hard, courageous, team guy, deserves to wear an A on his jersey, um, and uh, finally gets to, gets to do it once in a while, which is great. Uh, and, and he's a power play, instant improvement power play guy, you know, He's Vinny the Microwave Johnson for power plays. Uh, and, and, uh, and, you know, he's a pretty good player overall. Um, do you want your highest paid defenseman uh, to be a guy that you're really most comfortable playing in a defensive role in your third pairing? The Bruins signed John Moore for this purpose, to play behind Zdeno Chara on the left side. Granted, they know he can switch over to the right, but that's not why they got him. If that were the reason, they wouldn't have traded Adam McQuaid if they thought they needed somebody there. But they traded McQuaid, and Stephen Camper is their uh, seventh D who's pressed into duty. Um, and so John Moore is your guy who's going to play, play the big minutes behind Z on the left side, which now gives you Krug and Matt Grizzlick, who are both um, puck-moving defensemen. Uh, Grizzlick is, is obviously the faster player. Krug is the more talented player. Um, Grizzlick is obviously, fits in the budget better, fits in the, under the salary cap better. Um, and so there's a lot going on here. There's a lot that can change. Um, the idea that Krug is expendable because Charlie McAvoy is the heir apparent to run the power play is extremely premature. McAvoy, even though he is shown that he has the ability to improvise in his position and make great plays, elite plays, on the offensive or defensive side of the puck, uh, he has not been a great power play player. He wasn't at Boston University, and so far it's a work in progress in the NHL. So... That cannot be the premise on which you trade Tory Krug. But again, you, do, you don't make your decisions based on special teams. You make your biggest personnel decisions based on five-on-five. Five. And so if they trade Tory Krug, it won't be because Charlie McAvoy is ready to run the power play. It'll be because they believe that they are in an awkward situation, salary versus role, Krug's minutes always wind up over 20, but he's pressed into duty that he should not be in when uh, it gets higher than that um, with the defensive situations. Uh, right now, uh, he has good chemistry with Brandon Carlo, who's playing his best hockey of late. And uh, Carlo is actually a guy that we uh, talked to for a bit uh, last week. 
um, after practice. And so I uh, just wanted to talk to Carlo about his improvement this season, and he traces it to the time that he missed and got to watch some games. Here's, here's Brandon Carlo. Um, your game has looked uh, very confident since you came back into yeah. the lineup. And uh, sometimes it's not easy to hit the ground running. Yeah. And the team is having a, you know, hitting a rough patch here. So how does that work? How do you, how do you make that happen? Um, I think just taking what I've learned from watching on level nine, um, the games, and, you know, I see that there's a little bit more space at times when uh, you don't think so on the ice. It's a little bit of a different perspective, and I think that was good for me to see. Um, overall, I just wanted to pick up where I left off, um, you know, continuing traction forward. So um, I really tried hard to, to come back in and just um, act like I wasn't even out of the lineup at any point. Just just play the same um, simple game, hard-nosed, and um, moving the puck well. Looks like you have more time when you're sitting way up there, don't it, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the game does look a little bit easier from that perspective, but um, overall, it's good to take the opportunity to, to learn, I guess you could say, when mm-hmm. you're sitting up there. So that's really what I tried to do was focus on, um, you know, guys that I feel like uh, I play a little bit like, even when Millsy was back in, just um, seeing how he handled the puck and whatnot. And then obviously watching Tori, you can learn a lot from that. Mm-hmm. He makes his own space. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's a big thing that the coaches have been harping on me since uh, my first year is just moving my feet. Um, I feel like it's starting to work a lot better for me when I get the puck. I just focus on moving my feet first and then looking for the options. And um, overall, it opens up a lot for me, so it's been going well. It does because I think it changes the forecheck when you you take a couple of aggressive forward steps yeah. with that puck as soon as you get it. Yeah. And they think right away, yeah. we got to watch out what's going to happen here, yeah. and that gives you more, another moment. Yeah, exactly. It starts backing uh, their D off from the forwards too because they don't know if I'm going to continue to skate the puck. And, um, they're trying to hold good gaps, but you know, from a defensive perspective, I do the same thing when a guy's skating up um, with the puck. You know, you got to give the appropriate space to have the right gaps. So um, it definitely does create a lot more. Carlo uh, obviously uh, will continue to need to develop his improvisational skills. Uh, stepping forward with the puck and being aggressive with his puck movement has obviously opened up new uh, avenues for him, uh, but. These things, there's always an ebb and flow to this. There's always adjustment by the opponent, and they always keep making you figure out what your next thing is going to be after they figure out what to do about what you're doing. Um, and so right now it's going very well for Carlo and good for him. Uh, and maybe it would be really nice if two things happen this season for the Bruins. One, if Brandon Carlo gets to play a playoff game. And two, if Brad Marchand gets to play in the Winter Classic. I don't know if people realize this. Just as an aside. Brad Marchand, even though this is the third Winter Classic that the Bruins will have played in, they are playing against the Chicago Blackhawks on New Year's Day at Notre Dame Football Stadium. Brad Marchand in 2010 was primarily with the Providence Bruins, came up to Boston for about 20 games and was a hot mess. Was in the penalty box as much as he was on the ice. I don't remember if he scored a goal or two or three, but it wasn't much. And I guess he told Coach Julian at the time, Listen, I'm going to be back next year. I'm going to score 20 goals for your team. Not only did he do that, he helped the Bruins win the Stanley Cup, and he's never looked back. He's a great player. Right before the more recent Winter Classic at Gillette Stadium on uh, January 1st, 2016, right before that, Brad Martian incurred a suspension and wound up missing that game. In sync with David Krejci, who was injured right before the Winter Classic, Canadians got back Brandon, uh, Brendan Gallagher simultaneously, and that gave them a lift and a horrible season for Montreal. 
wound up being really nice for one day as they really spoiled the Winter Classic on the Bruins with a great performance by their team, and the Bruins were just kind of out of it. And uh, really, really a, a shame there. Um, pales in comparison to what happened um, with Dena Lang's injury, but uh, the day before in the women's exhibition uh, between uh, the Boston Pride and the Montreal team from the CH, uh, CWHL. Uh, that having been said, in the trivia of what goes on with the Bruins, uh, Brad Marchand, uh, he has not played in a Winter Classic yet, so uh, that should be interesting. Also, will Anders Bjork get his game to a point where the Bruins can comfortably bring him back and put him in the lineup uh, since he's a Notre Dame Hobie Baker finalist? Uh, you know, So there's another angle to this whole Winter Classic thing that's uh, coming, coming forward. So, so there, there's all of that. Uh, one of the guys we did talk about, and I mentioned before, Colby Cave, uh, probably would have been a good segue at that point, but we're going to talk to Colby Cave right uh, now. This is a tape of an interview with him last week at uh, practice at Warrior in Brighton. How do you feel like it's uh, gone uh, playing with the elites um, in your role? Bruce, Bruce said a couple minutes ago that he asked you to defend, and, and they kind of they kind of do their own thing anyway. Yeah, um, I mean, like I keep saying, I'm, I'm just trying to get open for them and obviously just get them the puck. Um, I think the last couple of games I've got away from that. You know, I've struggled on my face-offs a little bit, so... Uh, I think I just got to get back to that tonight and, uh, you know, keeping the puck out of our net. Um, you know, I've also been on the ice for a couple goals against that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't care who you are. I don't think anyone likes getting scored on. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things we got to get back to that. And, uh, you know, I think everyone's excited. We, you know, it was a good bounce back effort, obviously, from the, from the Florida game. So um, just didn't go our way. And uh, I think everyone's looking forward to it tonight. And no disrespect to the people you've been playing with all along, whether here or down, mm-hmm. but um, what is it like playing with those guys as opposed to something more normal? I mean, <laughs> you know, if, if you would have told me I would have been playing with Brad Marchand and David Pasternak a couple years ago, I would have told you, yeah, like, I was, you're kidding, you know, so it's, it was one of those things, I was just trying to take it day by day, obviously, and, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of things I could have done better, but. Um, you know, in hindsight, like those guys are amazing players, and uh, you know they make you look pretty good. So, just for example, last game, pass it going to the net. I just tried to get it there. I heard him yelling for it, and you know he's always in the right spot. So, you know, he's, he's got 20 goals already this season. So, there's a reason for that. So, they, it's, uh, they, it's been good. They both like to have the puck too. Yeah, exactly. So, there's and, a lot of time you're spending without it yep. when your team has it, yep. which probably isn't usually the case, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's if you look at the stats, you tend to not have the puck on your stick. A lot more often than, than you do, so it's it's one of those things you just got to read off them and try and get open for them, and, um, create a little bit of space. You know whether that's getting in front of a guy without taking a penalty or uh, you know, screening the goalie in front so he can't see it because if they get it and rip it to the net, you uh, you know you want to get the second chance and get on the right side of guys. So. What do you expect out of the Leafs tonight? Yeah, a couple weapons are back in the lineup, but I think we just got to play the same way we did. Uh, you know, when we were in Toronto. Uh, I thought we played a good game. You know, we had an unlucky bounce. One goes off Morrissey's leg and in the net. So. Uh, I thought we played a good game, so I think we need to have the same mindset coming in tonight. You know, play hard. Um, obviously, if we can get it behind them and keep the keep the puck out of the hands of guys like Marner, Tavares, Matthews, Nylander, like all these guys, they like to play with the puck. So um, I think if we if we can control the pace like that, uh, we'll uh, you know, come out with the win. Which says you got uh, stronger this time around on this recall. 
when you're handling the contacts better. You're also playing to the pace of the game. Mm-hmm. You're doing that well. Um, given how you know sturdy and structured your game tends to be, um, I asked him. I said, "Do you feel like you might have a a solution at third center mm-hmm. when Bergie gets back?" Yeah. Because you know, Riley Nash functions so well, and your brother from another mother. <laughs> you know, he's a right yeah. shot, and you're a left. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, it's it's. Um, he said, "You're getting there." You know that he's starting to feel it. Yeah, that yeah. I think coming into this year, I wanted to play with a little bit more confidence. Uh, you know, last year I came in when I got called up, and I think I was a little timid. You know, a little bit nervous, um, trying to play outside of my spectrum, I guess you could say. So it's one of those things. I just wanted to come up here play the same way. You know, uh, uh, luckily I had Butchie my first year, and he's you know, a little familiarity there, so that's always okay. nice. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's been pushing at me every year. Keep working on your pace. Like that's the one thing. You know, it's um, you can never get too much pace in your game. So it's uh, it's one of those things I've been working on a lot the last few summers. And um, you know, it's nice to uh, obviously see it pay off a little bit. But it's one of those things. I as a guy like me, I got to keep working on it every single day just to keep it up. And, uh, do, you, do you look at guys like Bergeron and Krejci that way too? Because neither one of them is a burner, mm-hmm. but they're both so smart yeah. about when to go hard. Yeah, yeah. And their instincts are amazing. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, you look at those guys, they're playing like 20 minutes a night, you know, so it's um, it's kind of similar to like a guy that plays 30 minutes a night on the, on the back end for a defenseman, you know, yep. kind of... Yep. Um, like you said, kind of pick your pick your points when to give her, and then obviously, um, you know, use your hockey sense. Uh, if you're in the right position, you might not have to use you know use your legs as much. Um, you know, use your stick. And, but uh, at the same time, Bush is he's always pushing. You know, check with your legs. Check with your legs because uh, we want to be a fast-paced team. We want to use our speed. If you know, we're chipping pucks in, we want to be the first guy on it. So uh, you know, pace is a big part of the way he wants to play. And um, obviously, I want to be here. So if I got to keep working on my pace every single day. Twice a day, I'll do that. So it's, uh, yeah, it's been good. Yeah. Thank you for it. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Good luck tonight. Whether Cave stays with the Bruins in the long term and becomes a, a, a niche player, as was Riley Nash before he earned himself a contract with the Blue Jackets and free agency, uh, maybe Cave can get there. Uh, you know, so right now uh, the Bruins have a lot of candidates still to look at as a potential third line center, and now you have these rumors, these reports that they are involved in trade talks and that they are kicking the tires, quote unquote, on Charlie Coyle, and that Kevin Hayes could also be in the in the running uh, for the Bruins' interests. Uh, one thing we should never be surprised of during this uh, trendy period of Don Sweeney's management is both are Americans, both are from the Boston area, and both attended college in Boston schools. Uh, and that seems to be a trend uh, that the Bruins have right now, and this will be the last thing I discussed on this edition of Rink Wrap. Uh, if you look back at uh, the Stanley Cup team of 2011, uh, you have, uh, I believe it was 15 Canadians on the on the roster, if you talk about the 21 guys who actually played, you dress 20. Uh, remember Nathan Horton got hurt in early game three. Rich Peverly took his spot on the top line with Krejci and Lucic. And Tyler Sagan uh, went to the third line with Chris Kelly and Michael Ryder. 15 Canadians on that championship team. Uh, I believe there were five Europeans and one American. 
and the one American, Tim Thomas. This Bruins team, I believe there are 11 Americans, although it's kind of hard to sift out since there's been so much coming and going with injuries and recalls and whatnot. But you're basically looking at slightly over 50% of the Bruins are, are uh, American-born players with college hockey backgrounds. Uh, there aren't many Canadians on this team. We could just, we could just go through that real quick. I could uh, run it down for you. Uh, if we look at the lines, uh, Marchand, Bergeron, there's two of them. Um, if you go to, let's see, DeBrusque, uh, uh, he's, he's Canadian. So then you have uh, um, <laughs> anybody else? I'm not sure. Uh, Bruins actually is Mike Loftus, the Gatehouse Bruins beat writer for the Patriot Ledger and Quincy pointed out recently that the Bruins in one of their recent home games had an entire U.S.-born defense, um, which was all six players lined up that night were, were Americans. So uh, we are in a time of change with the Bruins. Is it permanent? No. Mike O'Connell's teams were far more American than Peter Shirelli's. So it really depends on who the GM is and how they think and where they like to get their, their talent from and what they think of as uh, – good developing ground for the for the uh, kind of team they want to have and personalities, et cetera. Uh, that's just what it is uh, right now. The Bruins are dominated by American-born uh, and college-bred players. And uh, you still have a, uh, a core of talent that's made up of some you know, high-profile Canadian players like Bergeron and Marchand, as well as high-profile European uh, talents like Pasternak, David Krejci, uh, Den Chara, the captain, and your goaltenders, Tuka Rask and Yaroslav Halak. So, uh, so there are obviously diverse elements, but it's, uh, it's, it's really uh, amazing that the, the Canadian quota of, on the Boston Bruins roster right now is at an all-time low, and that is... Uh, uh, it's pretty interesting uh, stuff right now. It's just the way it's worked out, and it's um, so I thought I'd just make that aside. All right, so that's it for Rink Wrap for this uh, edition. And a reminder, you can find us wherever you find your podcasts. We also link Rink Wrap to our stories at southcoasttoday.com. And to uh, I also make links to it on my blog, which you can read Rink Wrap at blogs.southcoasttoday.com slash Bruins. So that's it. I'm Mick Collagio. Until next time, happy hockey, everyone.